0: Welcome to our messages online. We're so glad you would take some time to look into God's Word with us. Today, Pastor Scott is in the book of Acts, chapter 15. Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you today. I want to zip to a fast forward and tell you where we're going to be at the end of our time together today. We're going to take communion. We've got a couple stations up front, a couple back. And this is going to be a time for us to remember what Jesus has done for us. And so The the point of the whole day is that you would see that Jesus has done something great for you, that he has paid for your sins, that if you have trusted in him, you're in, you've been blessed, you've been loved, you have that gift. If you have not received him, I'm going to give you an opportunity today to do that. And then at the end of the service today, we're just going to remember that God has been so good to us, that Jesus has given so much to us today. And that's where we're going to finish. But before we do that, let's get into God's Word today. We need to jump right in. There's so much good stuff to go over today. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 on page 923 if you want to use this Bible sitting in front of you. I want to share with you from God's Word what we, and what we'll look at today may be, for me, the greatest source of my own spiritual development. What we're going to look at... When I look at this, it's like this right here is the greatest source of my spiritual development. I grew up going to church. My dad was a pastor, and I learned a lot of good things. I learned some bad things along the way. But what we're going to see even in this chapter is some of the greatest source of my growth and development. This is powerful stuff. It has been for me, and here's what I know. It will continue to be this for me. No way we can cover it all. In fact, you're probably going to leave here today with more questions than answers. Hopefully I give you some answers. Uh, But this may just cause some good old questioning in your house, in your groups that you share with. This might even cause some fights. I don't know. But that's not a bad thing we're going to find out here today. And I hope you leave with some good questions. For the past five months or so, we've been looking at this book of Acts. We started, started in May, and I'm pretty confident there is no one here who's been to every single Sunday since May 1st to go over this. I, I know I haven't even done that. All right, so here's what we do. Thanks to some people in uh, the state of Texas who've put a little video together. I want you to see in three minutes basically the first 14 chapters of the book of Acts. Let's watch this up here on the screen.
1: In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. Out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed, hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Out of joy, the gospel creates community. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon connecting the Old Testament to Jesus and rebuking the people for their hard hearts. Enraged, the people stoned Stephen making him the first Christian martyr. In AD 34, the gospel continued to multiply through Philip's ministry in Samaria and Caesarea. Meanwhile, on the road to Damascus, the Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians, and Saul became Paul. After this conversion, the gospel continued to spread through the ministries of Paul and Peter. God gave Peter a vision and used him to first reach the Gentiles. In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James and had Peter arrested. But an angel rescued Peter, leading him out of the prison. As the believers were scattered because of persecution, the center of operations for Christianity turned from Jerusalem to Antioch, where many teachers and prophets gathered. Around A.D. 48, Paul and Barnabas were then called to go out on their first missionary journey. Many Jews and Gentiles believed after hearing the word preached, while others drove Paul and Barnabas out of the cities. In every day and age, the church faces both persecution and praise, because all multiplication comes at a cost. But we must fight for, and pray for, unity to flourish within the church. To advance the gospel, we must be shaped by the gospel. We must be prayerful and open-handed. We must continue to move forward for the good of the church and the sake of the gospel. Out of joy, the church multiplies.
0: Fantastic. Here we are then in Acts chapter 15 today. And we're going to see that God is developing the church. He's developing not a building When we talk church, we're not talking a building, we're talking people. God has been developing people, and he's doing that in the first century, we see this. But he's doing that in the 21st century. Thank God he's doing that with us. Before we get to Acts chapter 15, go back to 14 real quickly. I want to take you to the last couple verses in chapter 14. Get us into the story here. Chapter 14, it says this, And when they, that is Paul and Barnabas, arrived in Antioch, And gathered the church people together. They declared all that God had done with them. We looked at this last week. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, the nations, the ethnic groups, those who were not Jewish. Verse 28. And they, that is Paul and Barnabas, remained no little time with the disciples. No little time. They hung out with these people and said, we need to continue to develop and invest in you. We need to tell you about this good news of Jesus Christ. You have received it, but you need more information here. You have believed in Jesus, but now we want to help you develop and grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. The idea here is that every single one of us have this idea where we need to initially believe and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. If I went around and asked you, have you believed this good news? Many of you in this room, I know your story. You'd say, yes, I have believed in Jesus. Fantastic. Some of you I don't know, and you might say, I have not yet. I I want to talk about this today so that you can believe in this. But the idea is that after we believe, that we would continue to believe, that we would continue to grow in the good news of Jesus. Here's a point I want you to understand today with me, and it's this, that God develops me through increased understanding of His gospel. That God develops every single one of us through increased understanding of His gospel. This has been such a key for me in my life. Growing up in the church, I I heard this, that if you believe, you'll go to heaven. Okay, that's true. And so I said this for years. I said, okay, I get it. I believed, and I know I uh, am going to heaven, and I'm kind of done with the good news. I've heard the good news. I've received the good news. I don't need it anymore. I've got it. It was a very shallow understanding of the good news of Jesus. It was enough to save my soul From my sins. But when I thought I got it, I actually didn't get all of it. Does that make sense? I I just had a, a little glimpse of this. And you and I, we have to have an increased understanding in the gospel of God because this gospel, it's an immeasurable gospel. It's so deep that you can't ever understand it completely. It's that good. And what happens is God's immeasurable gospel, it speaks to every part of our emotions, every part of our feelings. Because you and I, at times, we feel certain ways like, I don't think God loves me anymore. Now, we would say this, I'm saved and when I die, I'm going to be in heaven. But you and I get so beat up at times where we'd say, I've sinned so greatly, I'm not sure if I'm lovable anymore. So maybe we would preach that to ourselves, we'd think that, we might feel that. We might even hear some bad religion from other people saying, you've gone too far, you've done too many bad things. And I want to talk about how this gospel is so immeasurable that we have to increase our understanding in this. And so I'm excited to share with you today some of the depths of God's great truths. I want to help you thrive I know that t- sometimes many of us, we just survive. We'd say, yep, yep, I believed in Jesus, and I can't wait till I die, because then I'll be in heaven and it'll all be good, but right now I'm just kind of lost. I'm, I'm lost and I show up and I do some good things, and I don't know if it's enough good things. and you know what I mean, sometimes we just get into this religion phase, and we're not sure where we're at. I want to help us all thrive. Are you up for thriving sound? I want to thrive. All right, 10 of you do, huh? Say, I want to thrive. thrive. Okay, good. That's a lot of you. So we get to chapter 15 then. They've been spending no little time developing the disciples, talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Chapter 15, verse 1, but, and this is not a good but, but some men came down from Judea, roughly 300 miles, and were teaching the brothers, and I got to stop you there. What would cause you to travel 300 miles to teach people something? You say, I want to go 300 miles. Now, this is like going past Seattle on I-5, but you don't get to go in a car. You don't get to fly there. You're either going to walk there or you're going to take some kind of an animal. What's going to cause you to go 300 miles to share something? Like oh, They can figure it out themselves, right? Some people travel 300 miles from Judea, the Jerusalem area. They go up to Antioch to share a truth. Let's catch what they're sharing. It says this. Go on to read. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was the gospel that they wanted to preach. They wanted to travel 300 miles, and they heard people are turning to Jesus, but... We've got to tell them there's a whole lot more. They're just getting a little glimpse of this. We've got to tell them there are a bunch of rules they don't understand. That doesn't sound like good news to me. i got to go 300 miles to tell a bunch of males that they're going to have to be circumcised according to the customs of Moses. To me, this sounds like rules, rules, and more rules. Did anybody grow up in a Christian environment where it felt like, yes, I believed in Jesus, but then it was just rules, rules, and more rules? Anybody like that? Okay, I'm not bashing my parents. I'm not bashing previous churches. I'm just bashing sometimes our American culture where we say, okay, believe in Jesus, and then it's a bunch of rules, rules, and more rules. That doesn't sound like good news to me. I kind of heard things like this growing up. Mom, don't take offense at any of these things today, all right? My mom's gonna write me a big email after this today. No, 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 this isn't about you, all right? I, I heard things like this, uh, Please, Scott, uh, don't drink, um, smoke, or chew, and don't hang around with girls that do, all right? Things like that. I was like, yes, you've believed in Jesus, but now don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with girls that do. And Angela does none of those, and so, you know, I hit a home run with that one. But anyway, these guys traveled 300 miles to share this message saying, we're happy for you that you believed in Jesus, but there's this law that us Jews have that you don't know about that you have to worship on a certain day of the week and that you, there are certain foods you cannot eat. And by the way, man, you're going to have to be circumcised in order to be saved from your sins. Like, wait a second, this doesn't sound like good news. Read with me verse 2. After Paul and Barnabas... And after, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. Paul and Barnabas said, wait a second. We just spent a year and a half telling people that they could turn from no God to the living God. They could turn from a life of sin to the sin forgiver. We've been doing this. We've been risk, uh, risking our lives. Don't come in here and tell these people that that's not good enough, that what they believe in Jesus wasn't good enough. Don't do it. And they fought. They fought. We only have a few minutes to talk about this, but they fought about this. Big dissension over this. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others then were appointed to go back down to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. We want you to travel the 300 miles, go back to the mothership, talk about this with the people in Jerusalem. Answer this question, what what do we have to do to be saved? Believe in Jesus and a few more things? Stay away from certain foods. What? What is this? Verse 3. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, and describing in detail all the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to the brothers as they're dri- walking by, not driving. As they're going by, they're like, man, we've got to tell you, God is good. He's changing people's hearts all over, but we got to get our way to Jerusalem. Verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Verse 5, but, this is still not a good but, all right? But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. We heard you're telling a bunch of people about Jesus. Good, believe in Jesus, fine. But there are a bunch of things they have to do to be saved. Verse 6. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Hmm. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel, and believe. They should hear this good news and believe. That was chapter 10. Peter says, remember, I I was told to go to a man's house. He was a Roman centurion. His name's Cornelius. We can read about this in chapter 10 if you want. They did not obey all these Jewish laws because they weren't Jewish, but they believed in Jesus. God told me that's all I needed to tell them, trust Jesus, and you're saved. Peter says this. Verse 8. And God, who knows the heart, he bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us, the Jews, and them, the non Jews, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Verse 10 Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, at just as they will. Now, Peter, in essence, says, "Let me tell you about the good news." And I'm going to interchange these words. Good news and gospel means the same thing. But Peter says, "I've got to tell you about the good news of Jesus. I have got to tell you what the gr- the gospel of Jesus is." As we said last week, it could be summed up in this statement: that God is gracious. Write this down: God is gracious. What's the good news? God is gracious. This is the idea, that God took all the wrath that should have been going our way for our sin. He put it on Jesus. And if God had stopped there, that was quite gracious enough. If he never did another nice thing for us, that would have been enough to take away our sins and put it on his son, Jesus. That would have been good enough. But God is gracious to give us so many more things. But Peter says this in verse 9. He says, he made no distinction... Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Let's write it down this way. That my heart is made clean by faith in the work of Jesus. Peter says, now all of us have a sin problem. And none of our hearts could be right before God. But when we trust in Jesus, when we believe in Jesus, when we have faith in Jesus, our hearts made clean. Now you could think about your last week and said, is your heart clean before God? You're like, no. No. In fact, I hardly wanted to show up today, but somebody made me show up. I'll tell you, your heart is clean before God. Jesus has done that. If you have trusted him, if you've had faith in him, he has made your heart clean. This is good news. This is the gospel. Peter says he did it, he took care of it. Go down to verse 11. Then Peter says this that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus. We could write it this way that I am saved, I, I am saved through the grace of Jesus. The gift that he gave. That saved me. That, period, that saved me. He gave the grace. I trusted in him. Period. I'm saved. And then he said this in verse 10. Let's go back up a verse, because this is interesting. So he said to the Jewish leaders there, Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our forefathers, neither our fathers, nor we have been able to bear? He said this, now listen, God gave us laws. Let's just consider this for a minute. Why would God give laws to us? He gave laws partly because it's really good for us if we have these laws so that we don't murder one another and so that we don't steal from one another and that we don't commit adultery with one another and things like that. I mean, this is good. But he also made these laws because life is better when we honor our parents. And life is better when we worship the one true God and all all these other gods. So it's just a good way to live. That's part of the reason he gave laws. Part of the reason he gave laws is because we are going to stand before God and have judgment. And it would be better for you to know what God's standards are so that you could honor him. But really the law was made for this reason to show you that you can't keep it. The law was made for this reason, to show you that you're a sin failure. You just, you and I, we, we just don't measure up. The idea of the law is I'm going to make all these laws, and when we do it, it's great, but the reality is we can't perfectly do it. You've got a sin problem, and so God's saying, I'm revealing to you the antidote for that. I'm revealing to you a Savior. I'm revealing to you my son Jesus. Peter says, come on, folks. We couldn't keep the law. It was just meant to point us to Jesus. Then why are we going to strap them with all of these laws that they can't keep? They've been pointed to Jesus. It doesn't matter what they eat. It doesn't matter what day of the week they worship. It doesn't matter. So Peter is saying these things. God's working His plan. He's given the law. He's revealed His Son. In essence, he's saying this, write down this math problem, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything that Jesus plus nothing you bring to the table equals every good thing that God has in store. That's amazing. That's grace. And he says, I just want you to know this. It's not by Jesus and me observing a bunch of laws and hopefully adding to the equation and tipping it over the edge so I can get everything. No, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, in the story right after that, Paul and Barnabas, they jump in and said, yeah, We agree with Peter. In fact, we spent a year and a half telling people this, that it's Jesus plus you can't bring anything else to the table other than your failure. Jesus plus your trust in him equals everything. Then James speaks up, and he says, I agree with those guys. And it's not just because of what Peter saw in a vision. It's not just what Paul and Barnabas did on a trip. But I'm going to point you to the Old Testament, to Amos. And God said that his good news was going to be shared to the nations. And it wasn't obeying all these certain rules about what meat to eat or what day of the week to worship on. It was that we would turn to the Savior that God had always been revealing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Now, some of you might be saying, wait a second. Are you saying that there are no rules to follow? I'm not saying that. Are you saying there are no commands to follow? I'm not saying that, not at all. I am saying that there might be a whole lot more freedom than we think. And I also think this, that if we're not careful, what we see in this passage when these people are going, they're presenting some bad religion. Bad religion. And the immeasurable gospel of Jesus, this deep gospel, this deep, deep gospel, it's the antidote for bad religion. And frankly, it's the seed for freedom in Christ. This good news of, this good news of Jesus, this, this is going to be the antidote for bad religion that we're, we uh, often see. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's also the seed for the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And so Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, all in this story say, Jesus... In essence, plus nothing equals everything. And this is why you and I need an increased understanding of the gospel is because it is so rich. It's going to help us against bad religion. It's going to be the seed for freedom in Christ. The reality is there's always been bad religion. There's bad religion. Now it's always happened. Jesus said this, speaking to a group of people like this. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, there's bad religion. They're showing up and saying, we love God, but he knew their hearts and said, actually, your hearts are far from me. There's bad religion going on. Twenty years later, we see this and people are saying, you can't be saved unless you follow these laws. Bad religion. In America, we've had bad religion at times. We have said that you can't be a part of us or you can't be a part of the family of God at times because your skin color is different. You come from a different heritage. We've had a lot of bad religion at times. We've had it at Willamette Community Church. Our church family has been around for over 150 years. I know some of it. I don't know a lot of it. But I know that we've had bad religion here. And some of it's come from me at times. And an increased understanding of the gospel is going to minimize bad religion In our lives, which brings so much hurt. Have you experienced any hurt from bad religion? Just think about that. Some of you have been told certain things by pastors, religious leaders, clergy abuse. It's happened. And an increased understanding of the gospel is going to minimize this bad religion, not just from me to you, but you to your families, you to the people that you are witnessing to and sharing Christ with. So let me answer this question a little bit because it got me thinking this week, where does bad religion come from? Where does bad religion come from? Because I think we're all part of the problem. We'll go out and tell people certain things and they're like, that's why I hate church. And Sometimes we... Share bad religion. Let me give you two quick answers to this. You can probably come up with more, but one that came up to me was ignorance of God's word. This right here would be a reason for bad religion ignorance in God's word. We see this in the story of Acts. They don't understand who Jesus is, so they think Jesus plus a bunch of these rules equals everything. That's bad religion, is what Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James are saying. They're even saying this from the Old Testament. I was thinking about this in our church history 500 years ago. There are a group of people, because the word of God's not out to everyone, the church said this they don't know. So we could say things like this that if you come to us and share your sins and give us money, we will absolve your sins. We can do that. It says it right here bad religion. Until one day a guy named Martin Luther, he gets a copy of a Bible thanks to Gutenberg for making the printing press. And people start getting Bibles in their hand. But a guy named Martin Luther says, wait a second. Jesus plus not money to the church equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so Martin Luther says, I, I'm going to protest what the church is doing. I'm going to bring some reform to the church 500 years ago. Bad religion has happened most likely because of an ignorance of God's word. I was thinking about that with me, and I thought, you know what? I have told you things from this stage at times that I look back and go, ah. And maybe a couple of years later, I'll look back at this and go, ah. And so don't listen to me completely. It, it, If this causes questions, great. Look it up in the Word of God. But I remember saying this, the gospel is this. If you memorize this, this is the gospel. And I said this, that God was born of a virgin, that He lived a sinless life, that He died for our sins, He rose from the grave, and that He is continuing to work in us until we die or until He calls us home. That's it. That's the whole gospel. It's that simple. I look at that and say, shame on you, Scott. Why do you try to get them to think that the gospel, which is so immeasurable, could be summed up so easily? That's like saying the ocean's a body of water. That's all you ever need to know. You never need to go check it out yourself. Just know that it's a body of water. No! It's bigger than that. It's better than that. I didn't tell you anything wrong other than I tried to minimize it. That's bad religion. Bad teaching. I've got a lot of other bad teachings, too, that I think about. And thank God he forgives me. And you never listen anyway most of the time, so that's good too. (laughs) Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says the, the the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's the power of God. You can't sum up the power of God in five points. It's deeper than that. It's better than that. If I said to you, don't go to the ocean ever again, it's a body of water. You've seen it. You know it's there. You don't need it. That'd be wrong. No, go check it out. Even on Sunday morning sometimes. Go check it out and just understand that it's beautiful and it's deep and it's mysterious. And God put it there. And somehow because the moon, it doesn't come in or out too far. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. It's filled with life. That's the ocean. And that's just part of the ocean. And that's just the Pacific Ocean. Then there's another one over there and another one. The gospel as well is so deep, and at times I've tried to minimize it, and shame on me. Ignorance of God's word sometimes creates bad religion. Let me say this also, that bad religion happens sometimes because of fear. Fear of losing control or a fear of the unknown. Sometimes... Churches will have bad religion. Let's be honest. Sometimes parents and grandparents have bad religion because of fear of losing control. Fear of the unknown. We see this in the Acts story. They said, wait a second, this good news about Jesus is going out. What happens if they don't do it exactly the way we've been taught? Oh no, is God big enough for this? We got to go 300 miles and tell them every little detail and we got to control this because we're just fearful that what God has given to us might get ruined because God's not that big or something. I wonder about us as parents sometimes and say, do we ever preach a bad gospel to our kids because of fear? I have to look at my own life and say, yeah. There have been times I've held my kids too tight and said, I don't want them to experience certain things in life. I want to just hold it like this because there's too much bad stuff out there. I can't let them see it. And then what happens is they turn 18 and 21 and they see it and I'm like, yeah, I knew about that. It's a challenge, isn't it, parents? Or sometimes then it's like, no, I'm just going to let them experience it all now when they're five, all right? (laughs) Because they can handle all this because they're going to get it when they're 25 anyway. It's so hard for us. And we start preaching things as parents that it's like, wait a second, we're preaching bad religion, a false gospel, because we're fearful, I grew up and remember a sign on the refrigerator of our house. Again, Mom, don't get mad at me, but I remember that. Dad probably put it up. You didn't do it. It was a quote from Mark Twain, and it said something like this. When your child becomes 12 years old, stick them in a barrel, put the lid on it, and feed them through a hole. (laughs) And when I'm 10 years old, I'm thinking, Oh, man, I only got like two years left. (laughs) That's not the end of the quote. It says, And when he turned 16 plug the hole. (laughs) I'm so fearful those years. Yeah, not too much. But there's fear. What do we expose our kids to? What what do we share? I'm sharing some things with you, and I'm like, oh, no. I'm I'm kind of opening a can of worms. I'm, I'm a little fearful what they might say, And then I'm like, no, don't be fearful. Read the Bible this week. Read it all the days of your life. You can show me where I'm wrong at times. But check this stuff out. Because, see, you and I live with fellow Christ followers, not to mention the world, but you and I live with fellow Christ followers who think differently than we do on certain issues. Would you agree with that? And so what do we do when fellow Christ followers disagree with us? What do we do when we... Oh, I try to ignore them. Well, we're called not to just ignore one another and get along, uh, just get along a little bit. We're actually called to love one another. To love one another that actually have different viewpoints on some very serious matters. And I think there's bad religion in all of us because of ignorance of the Word of God, because of fear, and it comes out in the way we interact with others. So I started making a list this week. What do we do when a Christ follower disagrees with us about alcohol consumption or marijuana inhalation? What do we do when a Christ follower has a different view on attending a Halloween party or being a part of a certain political party? What do we do when fellow Christians and fellow Christ followers have different views than us on divorce or gay marriage? Uh Uh-oh, how do we get along with that? So one of the things I did this week is I asked my 16-year-old daughter. I was like, honey, let me ask you some questions. She kind of test drives some of my messages. I said, let me ask you a question. Honey, can a Christ follower consume alcohol? She goes, yep, I've seen it. I said, no, 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 no. Not like do they have the ability to or the the capacity Do they have the freedom to consume alcohol? She's good, and she just started asking more questions. Why? What's the purpose? Why would they do it? What's wrong with it? She just asked some questions. But you and I, we're in a different room, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of us would say, wait a second, I don't have the freedom to do that. And some of you say, I think I do have the freedom to do that. And so does a Christ follower have the freedom to consume alcohol or inhale marijuana? I don't need to say the answer right now. I'm just going to ask you about some of our freedoms. Does a Christ follower have the freedom then to attend that Halloween party or join that certain political party? Does a Christ follower have the freedom then to pursue divorce or live with a certain partner of their choosing? And some of us say, yep, no." Okay, so we have different opinions. And we start preaching certain things that in some cases might be bad religion. What does the gospel have to say about this? What's the good news of Jesus? Not just I believe and I'm saved, but now how do I live in this life? And this is why you and I need an increased understanding of the gospel of Jesus. So this week I looked at a passage in Romans chapter chapter 5 want to show you this on the screen here. Romans chapter 5. Let me just show you two verses. And this is gospel. This isn't how to get saved. This is just once we are saved. Look up here with me if you would. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, writing to Christians, since we have been justified by faith, and I had to stop there and say, okay, what's that mean? Since I have been declared righteous in the eyes of God, I trusted Jesus. I said, I have a sin problem. I believe that He's the sin fixer he's the savior because I have by my faith been declared righteous and then I thought wait a second that is good I got declared righteous this knucklehead this sinful man got declared righteous in the eyes of God wait a second that's good news can I get an amen I thought wait a second since that is true why am I so judgmental And I thought, Scott, you need an increased understanding of the gospel and so do your brothers and sisters because they're judgmental too. Now their heart has been made clean. They have been declared righteous in the eyes of God by their faith. Yeah, we don't need to be judgmental. We need to increase our understanding of this gospel. So let's keep reading then. Therefore, now we have peace with God. That's good news through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace. And then I had to stop there and say, wait a second, I've obtained what? By my belief, I obtained access into all of this goodness? God, this is way too good. How did I get into this? I mean, I'm a a sinful person. How did I get into this? It wasn't based on my performance. It was just my faith in Jesus doing all the work. So then I thought, then why am I so self-righteous? And why are my brothers and sisters so self-righteous? And I thought, you and I, we need an increased understanding of the gospel. Can I get an amen? Us self-righteous pigs. Let's keep reading and then he goes, I said us, not you. Come on. And then he goes on to say, not only this, but we rejoice. Oh, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our sufferings produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And the guys in the James Bible study say, this sounds like James chapter 1. That's good. And hope does not put us to shame, because catch this, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I, I, whoa, wait a second. God's love has been poured into my heart. My heart. I've been given the very spirit of God. He said, here, I'm giving you that gift. I'm like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. He says, that's the point. You couldn't do anything. Jesus did it all. Did you receive the gift? I go, yeah. Then I'm giving you all my love. I'm giving you my spirit. And I'm looking at that saying, that's so good. And then I heard this question, then, Scott, why are you so ungracious to other people? And why are your brothers and sisters at Willamette Community Church, why are they so ungracious? If they'd get this gospel, then why are they so ungracious? And I'm like, okay, I need an increased understanding of the gospel. And so do you. And So this week, I'm going to ask you to look or or to read. If you look on the back of your worship program, it has some readings And they're actually a little little longer than normal. I want you to read a chapter a day. Read Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And then I want you to skip to chapter 14, because that's going to help drive it home. Here's what I'd like you to do I'd like you to read, and every time you see something that is a gift from God to you, just write next to that, circle it, whatever you want. I started writing the word gift down. I stopped counting when I got to about 50 gifts that I'd been given by God that I didn't deserve. And then just like you do at the ocean, I'd ask you to consider those gifts and just marvel at it. And say, look how beautiful it is. And maybe you want to go out on the ocean in a boat or you want to get your feet wet in the ocean. Whatever it is, you just sit there and say, this is magnificent. Do it with the gospel. And have an increased understanding of how good it is. And by the time you get to chapter 14, you'll see that an increased understanding is going to change who you are. How you preach to others. You see, you and I, we need this gospel. Because there are people that we disagree with. And how do we get along with them? And it happened 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like, how are we going to get along Because you're eating meat that we don't think we can. And you worship on a day that we don't think we can. And we look a little different. And and we have some... How are we going to get along here? And we get along based on the most important thing that Jesus plus nothing we actually bring to the table gives us everything. So it begs another question then. How do I get along with them I mean, how can I get along with people who think that about alcohol or marijuana? Or how do I get along with people who think this or this that I work with, live with? How do I get along with them? Let me give you two answers that I came up with. First one is this. Allow God to direct my steps. Allow God to direct my steps. Allow. That would imply some humility. Allow God to do this. Maybe underline the word my steps. My steps. Real quick story. I saw something going on this week, and I thought, bad religion alert. And I thought, I need to go and stop it. And I actually sat down first and said, okay, wait, God. Um, I'm going to let you direct my steps. Look at verse 28, if you would, in this story. Because as they're going to send a letter back up to Antioch to these believers in Jesus, what are they going to tell them? And look what they said in verse 28 For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Basically, the requirements were abstain from sexual immorality, some of this meat. With blood in it, it's probably not healthy for you. It's hard for you and the Jews to get along if you do with this. We're not gonna put a lot of rules on you. But the idea was this: we're gonna talk with God and see what God has to say about this. And after I had this alert, like Boop, bad religion alert, and I asked God, what should I do about it? He said, Ah, oh, go check it out. I went to check it out a little bit and kind of heard God say, It ain't that bad. You done worse. <laughs> You've preached worse. Come on. Just go back. But thanks for letting me hang out with you and tell you my opinion. You see, I think when we spend time with God and we allow Him to direct our steps, He's going to say things like this to you and me. He'll say things like, hey, let's examine your heart. (laughs) Let's start with you. Before you grab that rock and chuck it at somebody, let's just look at your own heart together. He may say something like this. Actually, I'm big enough to deal with that issue, and you don't have to control it. I got this one. I had this one before you even knew it was a problem. Just trust me on this one. He might say that. He might say things like this. "Uh, That's not your servant. He's mine. I'll judge him. That's not your servant. She's mine. I'll take care of her. You worry about you. He might say things like, actually, this time would be a good one to get involved. You need to go say something. You need to do something. But we're allowing God to direct our steps. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We got on the same page with him, and we said this. God might say something like this to you. Don't fear about that. Yeah, I know that seems scary, but don't fear. I got you I got them. We'll work it all out. He might say, you're not the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I put it in that person, and you're not it. He might say things like that when we allow God to direct our steps. All this is discerning the voice of God. Ladies, can I get an amen to that? Secondly, I thought, how do we get along with them who disagree with us? Pursue my own relationship with God. Pursue my own relationship with God. It's not your job to be the moral police. You just work on your relationship with God. You're going to answer to God for your life. And you say, well, my kids, I got to... Okay, you've got a job as a parent. But you really have a job for your own soul. And you're going to answer to God for your own life. Strengthen your own understanding of the gospel instead of just being the moral police for others around you. I'm confident as we do this, as we work on our own relationship with God, all of a sudden, as we read the gospel, as you read Romans this week, you'll say, wait a second, I was dead in my sins, and He made me alive. Wow! Okay, I'm going to live for Him. He's the one who did that. You might say something like this. Okay, wait, I was an enemy of God, but now I'm a beloved child. I'm going to live for Him. I don't need to be the moral police. I'm just going to live for Him. You might realize I was a sinner, and now I'm forgiven. I'm going to live for Him. I was blind, but now I see. I'm going to live for Him. I was lost, but now I'm found. I'm going to live for Him. I don't have to... Worry about being everybody else's moral police. I'm going to live for him because I'm seeing how good he's been to me. And then that leads to well, how good has he been to me? That God so loved us that he gave his son for us. And this is what we remember at communion simply remembering Jesus, remembering that we could not save ourselves. And so, Jesus plus nothing we bring to the table gives us everything. We simply trust Him, and everything is ours. It creates some great freedom. And I'd hope as you understand the gospel in greater ways, you say, I have some freedom to actually sleep in and not go to church on a Sunday. Don't do it too often, we'll come knocking on your door. But we have great freedoms. We have great freedoms because Jesus has secured this. Today, we're going to eat and drink in remembrance of Jesus. Jesus did this, and he says, he broke some bread with his disciples and said, this is my body that is given for you. And so take some of this, if you're a Jesus follower, eat in remembrance of what I've done for you. And drink this cup of juice, which is a reminder that my blood was shed for you. For those of you who are believers, it doesn't matter if this is your first time in our church building or not. If you're a believer in Jesus, join us today. In just a minute, I'm going to pray and our worship team will sing. And I just invite you to come up here and grab these. Go back to your seats and eat and drink when you're ready. And remember Jesus. And as you do, go ahead and peek around the room. And peek around the room, not with a judgmental spirit like I can't believe they're doing this. But peek around the room and say, wait a second. Jesus invited me to the table and invited him and invited her. And consider, wait a second, I didn't deserve this. This is so good. I want you to know this. This gospel of grace, this good news of grace, is that he secured my salvation. And he did it by dying. He did it by the shedding of his own blood. He secured this for you. So as you eat, as you drink, a great smile should come to your face like, he did this to secure my salvation. Because this salvation, know this, is something that I did not deserve and I could not earn. I didn't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. I couldn't. It wasn't Jesus and I've been working so hard. No, it was Jesus, plus I brought nothing to the table. And He gave me everything. And as we embrace this in greater ways, and it just doesn't happen today, but it's a process, as we embrace this in a year of development, as we embrace this and we have an increased understanding of the gospel, it's going to change our lives. It's going to change how we live our lives with other people. It's going to cause you to become more grateful. You might find you have more freedoms. You might find out that other people have freedoms that you don't. But you're going to find out a lot of good things about this immeasurable gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for this story in Acts chapter 15. Some bad religion was creeping up, and you know I've heard it, and I've shared it, and I'm so glad that you're bigger than all of that, and I'm glad that you had a plan and a love for every single one of us that you would send your Son to take our place, we did not deserve this. We could not earn this. And for my brothers and sisters today that are going to eat and drink and remember what you have done for us, would you help us to see this is really the tip of the iceberg? That the ocean of your grace and your, the ocean of your gospel is so deep, filled with life, it's majestic, majestic. Increase our understanding of it. And for those here today that need to believe this for the very first time, to believe that they have a sin problem that they can't fix, to believe that they have a sin problem that only Jesus could fix, would you help them say these words in their heart today that, Jesus, I need your salvation. And you give it. You're so good to us. And so as we eat, as we drink, as we pray, help us to get a greater glimpse of your glorious good news, your glorious gospel, your glorious grace. And continue to change and develop us for your glory, for the sake of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking some time with us today. Join us again next week as we continue our study in the book of Acts.